Welcome to Private Equity Laid Bear, the podcast. I'm your host, Ludovic Falipu, and today it's a pleasure to have Kajal with me, who's going to talk to us about due diligence. So Kajal, thank you so much for taking the time. And can you tell us a bit more about yourself and what is due diligence exactly about? Sure. Hello, everyone. Thanks a lot. Very, very glad to be here today. I'm Kajal Batabial. I'm a director in EY Parthenon Strategy and Transactions team. And my group at EY, we support both private equity as well as corporates across a range of transaction situations, such as mergers, acquisitions, divestments, bolt-ons, and so on. I specifically focus on private equity transactions and uh, specialize in what we refer to as pre-deal services. So that would include due diligence, value creation, exit readiness, and sign-to-close support. Now, within this area of work, my, my expertise is in assessing the value impact from technology and digital elements of a target company. With that in mind, I mean, that's sort of short of what I do. It's a very exciting space. It's great to be involved in deals and in the private equity environment as such. In, I mean, in terms of uh, sort of due diligence, I mean, what is due diligence, right? So what I would say is it's, I mean, it's carried out when say a private equity firm is looking at different businesses and trying to take a decision on whether to uh, you know, purchase the business or not. And what due diligence basically aims to do is help the P firm or a corporate buyer in understanding what's the right valuation or price of the business in sort of assessing the risks or any inherent risks within the business. And thirdly, I would say, also trying to understand what are the future value creation opportunities. So what can be done to the business? What can be improved? What should be the future growth strategy? So, so I would I say would have, these three areas, yeah. yeah I would have thought that, 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 that uh, this was kind of a job of private equity firms and not, and, and the, but so in a sense, you're offering an outsourcing solution to them, I guess, right? You would put it this way. So does that mean that then it's mainly smaller private equity firms that hire you or even big private equity firms would hire you because nobody would have quite such a precise expertise like the one you described on like, you know, measuring uh, in due diligence the impact that technology can play or things like that. Exactly. I mean, and, and that's exactly that. Different private equities have different approaches. I mean, there are some PE firms who have an in-house, uh, you know, who have in-house experts who do the due diligence in certain areas, but they hire advisors in other areas. And there are certain private equity firms, most likely the large ones who have... Uh, who hire advisors in sort of different areas of the due diligence to, to sort of provide that viewpoint. So it's a mix. Normally, so, I mean, usually I would say smaller PE firms have performed their own diligence, whereas the mid-market and large-cap PE firms normally hire advisors. And to your point, it is driven by the fact that advisors like me, I mean, we do this day in, day out, right? So we get, I mean, and you know, firms like EY or even McKinsey, BCG, Wayne, PwC, they have in-house expertise around the different types of businesses, the sector expertise, as well as, you know, knowing the issues in businesses or the value creation points in businesses. So but it's, still, it's driven it, by that. Yeah, It's still a bit counterintuitive because usually you outsource when you are smaller and then you can insource when you are larger. So is it because mm -hmm. the smaller private equity firms are more specialized and so they, you know, they do only one kind of deals and so they know these deals and so they do it themselves and the large guys do a bit of everything so they need to hire uh, externals like you? 
Yeah, and uh, I think that's right. But even within large uh, private equity firms as well, I think there are certain, like one example is Blackstone, right? So Blackstone does a mix. I mean, they have their own operating partners or operations teams. Uh, they have their own data science teams who get involved in looking at companies, but then they also bring in advisors where they don't see the value in maintaining an internal team. I think it is also driven by the deal volume that each PE does. So if there are private equity firms that do a lot of deals, it makes sense to maintain an internal team uh, and you know utilize them. And if if there is a, a deal, if if right, there are PE firms who look at say slightly fewer deals, then I think it doesn't make sense. So which PE firms maintain an internal team and which uh, sort of hire advisors? It dif differs a bit by the size as well as the approach that uh, they take in terms of uh, in, in terms of their own business model, if that yeah. makes sense. And does it make a difference if it's a private equity firm versus a corporate that is asking for due diligence services, or it's just always the same thing? It's just, it's about the company, first of all. It doesn't matter who the client is, whether it's a corporate sponsor or a private equity firm, or does it make a difference because the corporate sponsor usually wants to think a lot more about synergy and private equity firms about something else, about yeah. like an exit in four years? No, there is a slight nuance difference. So one thing with corporate, as you say, yes, they're looking at synergies, but more importantly, because a corporate would have their own experts, right? There are people within the firm who run their own, say, operations team, their own technology team or their legal team. So very often the corporates actually bring in their own people. So because they have the company itself, but even then, the corporates, they hire advisors because they want additional bandwidth because the people within the company, they're doing their day jobs. And they're, I mean, they may not, while they may be experts in the specific functions, they uh, are usually not experts of the whole MA process. So in corporate, it's normally MA advisors who work alongside the functional people to look at the target company. In a private equity, it's, it's almost like they are not in the business of, uh, advising so they don't maintain an internal team to do the due diligence so they are more akin to uh, uh, you know hiring advisors to help them with the deals no that's that's brilliant um and in terms of do you have an example like of of a due diligence on a deal even if it's anonymous like so that we get a sense a bit yeah, of yeah. of how much work it is what kind of work it is what kind of solutions you bring Sure, of course. Let me talk about a recent chemicals deal that I uh, worked on, right? So uh, it was a very large chemicals company. I'm not going to name it, but uh, it was a very large chemicals company who was divesting a division. Me and my team, we were supporting a consortium of two private equity companies. And uh, we worked alongside a range of due diligence advisors in different areas, right? And the different areas were financial due diligence, legal due diligence, uh, operational due diligence, like uh, uh, and operational and technology due diligence, which is what my team does, commercial due diligence, and so on. So all, all, you know, all of us advisors, we work alongside before the signing and looked at different areas and advised our clients on the different areas. Specific to this situation, it was a carve-out so the main, uh, there were two or three sort Sorry, of Sorry, we, we may want that... to specify what a carve-out is for, for some of our, sure. our listeners. So a carve-out is of when course. a division is taken out of an existing company, right? 
exactly. It could be a division. It could be, say, part of a division. It could be a few products that are different, uh, uh, different sort of uh, uh, what we refer to as perimeter, which can be carved out. So, uh, but it, that's exactly that. Carve out is when a private equity firm is buying a part of a company rather than the full company. So in, in this specific situation, we advise the client on what would be the true cost base of this part of the company when it becomes a standalone company on its own. What it means is this division was part of a larger group earlier. Once the private equity firm purchases it, it will start to operate on its own as a standalone company. So where we advise is from our experience and expertise, we determined uh, you know, what were the dependencies on the group. And once you remove the dependency and form or sort of replicate those functions for this independent company, what is the true cost base of the company? Yeah, and because, those dependencies, yeah, sorry. Because when they are part of this big, bigger company, I guess they have like, you know, HR services, legal services, et cetera, that are shared exactly. across all the divisions. And so now you have to think, exactly. well, if these guys are now separate, you, you need to take into account that, you know, they would have to pay for their own HR, their legal, et cetera. And so you have to reconstruct all these costs. Is that part of the exercise? Absolutely. And that's, uh, that was sort of the key question of the exercise, I would say. So, um, yes, what would the future business, what would their HR team look like? So it would be HR, finance. In this specific case, there was a complication that the, one of the manufacturing sites was shared. So how do you separate the manufacturing site? Their um, IT systems were completely uh, shared. So how do you create a, you know, an IT system and function from scratch? So yeah, so uh, exactly to your point, Ludovic, it's how do you create that organization as a standalone organization? And that inputs into what is expected to be the true uh, EBITDA in the future. And that EBITDA is what is used by the private equity firm to do the valuation or the pricing of that particular company. That's very interesting because we talked about valuation and 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 um, you know we we talk about you know you, you take like the, the previous EBITDA of these companies and maybe you think about the kind of positive changes you will bring in and then you know you can project the future EBITDA. What is very interesting mm -hmm. with a carve out situation that one may not necessarily think of is that it's a bit more complicated than taking a previous EBITDA and projecting because. First of all, it's not clear what the EBITDA of a division is, right? It's not easy to calculate that because exactly. the accounting is not for that division. It's the accounting usually is consolidated at, at, at the company level. And so not only you need to think, okay, what was the earnings of this division, which usually you would have, but here what you're describing is that you also have to think about what, what was the cost of this division when it was part of this company, but what will be the cost then now that it is out and because there are all these additional costs they, they, they will face. Um, and so that's exactly. a pretty unique exercise. It makes the cash flow projection actually all else equal, much more complicated in a carve-out situation than if you were buying the full company. Exactly. And, and that's why due diligence itself is performed within the context of what the private equity firm wants to do with the business, right? So in a carve-out situation, they would want to run it as a standalone. You mentioned synergies, and normally the idea is Synergies is only applicable to corporates because they will buy the company and bolt it onto their own company. But sometimes synergies is also applicable for a private equity firm because they may own a company in the portfolio where they may buy another new company and bolt it on together. In which case we look at the potential synergies during the due diligence phase because the combined business will have a, a cost base or an EBITDA 
which is uh, lower than say the sum of the parts because of the synergies yeah. so uh, the due diligence itself is done with uh, a view of what is the objective of the pe company that's right so if it's a carve out but then it's going to be what we call an add on or you called it bolton i don't know if there is a difference between an add on and a bolton but if it's an add on acquisition then you have to also take into account that maybe you know this this company that it will be added to already have an hr function legal etc and so maybe you know the cost difference will not be uh, uh, that di- that big um but if it's not an add on but it is to be run as a pure standalone then it will be yet different and you need to take that into account and that what i like here is that it illustrates this point uh, i i often make that you have to look at the whole exercise as something coherent is that the due diligence cannot be detached from the valuation exercise which cannot be detached from uh the exit uh, uh route that is being planned from the entire thing right a deal is everything exactly. together in a coherent way and you cannot say to someone okay you do due diligence then this guy will do the modeling and this guy does something else it's like everything has to be coherent exactly and and uh, that is a very important point the coherent point which you just mentioned because one element is yes the different different sort of the fact that the valuation has the current view what they want to do with the future and the third is the risk view which is um, uh, 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 which is whether the company will fall over uh, even before you run the value creation plan so it has to be very coherent in terms of these three elements it also has to be very coherent in the team in the way the different advisors are feeding in and we like the the different advisors of the various types of due diligence we work very closely with each other so one example is uh, we looked at a software business and um, uh, my team we looked at the operations and technology uh, areas whereas another team looked at this you know uh, the legal they did the legal diligence so we worked in very close uh, uh, you know very close interaction with the legal team to uh, feed into the uh, intellectual property uh, implications so we understand that they have a lot of internal software which they had developed which generates revenue for the business we understood whether you know those what components of the software is developed internally and therefore is an intellectual property of the business and what is purchased as a third party software from suppliers and that was fed fed into the legal team who then looked at the legal implication of transferring that ip to the future business so uh, that coherent nature is also very applicable uh, in terms of all parties coming together and working together it's amazing because i was thinking about that like how many people are involved i mean how many people you need to talk to it 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 sounds like you know if if you are not even on your own in your team and there are all these different people you need to talk to you need to talk to the person who's going to do the valuation model right the person who's going to do the risk assessment yeah. the person who's thinking about exit route the people in the private equity firm who are thinking of buying all the legal guys you're mentioning so how, how many people are involved how many pe- how do you manage to coordinate with so many people Yeah I mean before a deal it's a very busy time as you can imagine and it is driven by one is of course the own work but also this full uh, very well coordinated actions from different teams in terms of how many people so if i take uh, it depends on the deal size a little bit but then the chemical company i was referring to uh, it was um, uh, you know multi billion dollar deal on that from the buy side uh, or from from the side of the private equity consortium i'm sure there must there must have been 40 50 people across different advisors i know from the sell side they had uh, uh, 
um, uh, I mean, they were basically running uh, the separation of the business and they had advi uh, uh, recruited an advisor firm which had close to uh, a thousand person team because it was such a complicated separation of the business from the from the group so That's amazing. It, it could actually be yeah it could actually be very large initiative and in terms of coordination i mean one other sort of point to mention is all of this happens within 4 to 5 weeks so due diligence the exercise is usually weeks it's not months because you get access to the company within a very restricted period of time right uh, sorry, for a very restrictive uh, period of time. Yeah. So this level of coordination, the valuation, the due diligence exercise, it is done at pace and um, in a very well-coordinated fashion. But does that mean as well that people are also doing this work on the sales side? So we, we often think, okay, you want to buy a business and therefore you need to know everything about it to do the valuation, et cetera. That feels like natural, right? But the person mm -hmm. who's selling also needs to like do all these things because the person who's selling wants to sell it at a higher price as well. And so what that means is that if you want to buy a business and then you say, well, you know, there was this and that thing that was not so good about the business. Like when you're saying, you know, you're doing this costing exercise of like the HR functions and all these things, you will arrive at a number. Well, the sale side also wants to run these numbers and to have an estimate because they want to argue whether your number is accurate or not because if they can argue that this number is actually less than what you have estimated then their business is worth more so it means you also absolutely. have all these guys on the other side doing that kind of work isn't it uh, absolutely and normally uh, again going back to the point that the buy side has access for only three or four weeks so they always a buy side always the starting point for a buy side is the numbers presented by the sell side it's never from, I mean, it's usually never from scratch, right? So it's it's almost like a buy side would diligence yeah, the numbers so start, from the sales like side. The, the sales side starts exactly. with like giving you some documents and then you have to argue, but then they need to have some backup to argue back and forth with you. So if we go back to this coordination, yes. you need to coordinate with all your guys, but you also need to com communicate constantly with the guys who are selling and their entire team. It, 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 it sounds like a gigantic thing. It is, it is. And someone like me, we work on both sell side deals as well as buy side deals but of course never on the same uh, i mean never never on the two sides on the same deal yeah. so on on one deal i will either be on the buy side or on the sell side but then i for example right now i'm working on a sell side for a large uh, tech tech company and uh, uh, the sell side is work is usually quite long it's about sometimes it could be months like three to six months and uh, uh, to your point it's basically helping the sell side prepare the not just the documents but also elements which you know from our experience we think that a buyer might look favorably not favorably favorably how to respond to it how to best prepare for it and things like that so so you are absolutely right ludovic there are advisors on both sides and um, the sell side's incentive is of course to make the valuation as high as possible, number one, and also to give comfort to the buyers that work has been done and, and uh, there is a fair amount of structure, detail behind the numbers. The buy side's incentive is obviously to get the right price, but also the buy side advisors may look at the business from a different lens. So for example, if the buy side has a different plan over what the sell side has presented, then the uh, I'll, I'll give an example in a minute. Then then the diligence provide uh, advisors for the buy side will have a different problem set. So one example is 
in one of the deals, the sell side, they provided their financials for the company. And the buy side, basically, after buying the business, wanted to break it up into two different businesses and um, uh, sell one part of the business and keep uh, the second part. So from, from me, uh, you know, I was part of the buy side team. So for me, the problem statement was not just to ensure that the sell sides, you know, uh, numbers are fine, but also to provide a buy to my, uh, sorry, a view to my clients on what the two divisions will look like on a standalone basis. So sometimes the problem statements that, not problem statements, I would say the situations that we are looking at are quite different as well between the buy side advisor and the sell side advisor. That's excellent. Thank you so much. And so, so Kajal, you, ha you had a very fast uh, career. You're doing extremely well, but you, 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 you were at, at, uh, in an MBA program not that long ago. And um, do you have any advice for any MBA students who want to, to be like you one day? Um, any kind of mistakes you see young people doing in interviews or when they start in a job like yours? Thank you. Thank you for your kind words. And yes, I was in fact a student at Said Business School uh, in 2013. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, in terms of advice, what I would I would say is uh, uh, very often, I mean, the, the situation with me was when I joined the business school, my, my past life experience is in tech. So I was in technology consult consulting. I was a very, you can imagine, a very nerdy, geeky tech person. When I started the course, I almost had no idea about this whole world of private equity, right? So the one thing which really helps is have a plan, but also come with an open mind. You have no idea about what you might find in the MBA course. Once I sort of, you know, took the, in fact, with you, Ludovic, the course on private equity, I understood, okay, there's a whole world of uh, this, this area called private equity. And there is a job which fits both my previous experience, but also getting an exposure to this new area of work. So uh, I think that open-mindedness to find out what all are there is very important. Second is, I mean, whenever there's a shift in, say, career where, you know, previously I was in tech and now in the financial industry, there is an initial one year, which one, one and a half years, which is very difficult. I mean, there's a steep learning curve. But it's 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 sort of almost um, important to be resilient to uh, uh, absorb very heavily in the first few years. And once someone you know gets interested in a sector or someone gets better at it, it, it the return on that initial investment is very high, and it's it's very fulfilling to uh, uh, in the career beyond. So I think I would say these two. One is keep an open mind and almost expect like uh, uh, a few years of hard work to learn a new thing. That's excellent. Very few people uh, appreciate and know that. In fact, I'm converting a lot of people to private equity when they go through my courses, but you're not the, <laughs> the first one I, I kind of converted. Um, uh, it, although it's not an objective of mine, it, it, it does happen. So uh, Kajal, thank you so much uh, for your contribution. It was absolutely amazing. And you've been doing so well and, 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 and I'm very proud of, of your, your career path and I wish you well for the many years Thank still you to very come much. Of, of a great career. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much. much. I would add, I mean, obviously, it's, uh, something like a side business school obviously adds a brilliant platform for this. So thank you very much. Appreciate your kind words. Thank you. Thank you, Kajal. Take care. Don't forget to subscribe. Conversations and notifications of one more